Um, yeah, I got a call about two days ago, three days ago, and the pastor said, can you go Monday? I mean, can you go Sunday? Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, it was kind of a shocker, kind of a surprise, and and uh, hopefully he's getting better. I think he'll, he seemed like uh, last night he was doing quite a bit better, so... Um, I think tomorrow he was supposed to do the um, memorial at the cemetery, and I don't think he'll be doing it. I don't know who their reserve is over there or whatever, but um, I'd like to go to John chapter 1 and read 1 through 18. The Gospel of John is special. Um, you know, verse uh, chapter 20, verse 31 says, um, These things were written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you might have life in his name. That's a, that's a, precious, uh, a precious word, you know, that this, this is a faithful word we have here, the, the word of God. Um, we can trust it, and it's, it's a faithful word. So let's read, um, starting at verse uh, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That is, the true light, which gives light to every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came on to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed on his name, who were born not with blood, nor with the will of the flesh, nor with the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and peace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus hath declared his Father. That's why he came. That was his greatest, probably his greatest reason for coming was to declare the Father to us so that we would know the Father. So we would know who God is, what God is like. But these words are written that we might have life in, in his name, that we might believe and have life in his name. So from the beginning of the Bible, right from the start all the way through to the end, Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our God. And uh, as it says right here from the beginning, he is God. He was, is God. Um, tells us in Colossians that he is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So starting at verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, he created. He didn't have to. 
This beginning um, is a strange word. I don't know. I'm not into Greek. Sorry. I'm, I'm not into the Greek, but it seems to me this is a different beginning than the beginning in Genesis where it says, in the beginning God created. And here it says, in the beginning was the word. I'd say the beginning where God created was where when everything came into being. But you go back however far beyond that you want to go and that's this beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He was there. He was there before there was anything. Um, had to be because he made it all. Um, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning. It, and the Word was God. Um, the Word of God, uh, a spokesman. He's the Word. He's the Word made flesh. He's the the word that came to us to declare God, to declare his Father. Um, he says, what I have seen and heard, I testify. I don't say anything on my own. I only say what the Father gives me to say. I only do the works that the Father gives me to do. I see what my Father does, and then I do them. Um, no one has seen God at any time. God is spirit. He dwells in inapproachable light. And uh, it says... Um, he who was, he, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. So without Jesus coming, we, we wouldn't have a clue who God is or what he's about. Um, we would still be partaking of his grace, hopefully, every day. Every time we breathe, we take partake of his grace. Every time um, the sun shines, we have we're partakers of his grace every time the sun rises, every time it goes down. And he and uh, he didn't have to create anything. He didn't need anything. God was free to, he was, he was completely content. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit had perfect fellowship, had everything they needed. He didn't need to create anything. But he said in the beginning, he said, let there be light. So there was light. He spoke into existence this creation. Um, And then uh, I guess he decided or they decided the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the Father together, the Council of God, decided that uh, they were going to create this world. They were going to create people. And he created them as uh, to be worshipers. He wanted worshipers. It says he, uh, he just did this for his own good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. He did this uh, for the glory of the grace of God. He, he, wanted, he wanted to be praised. He wanted to be worshipped. He deserves worship. He deserves praise. So he created us to do that and uh, made everything perfect. Had Adam and Eve in the garden, came down to fellowship with them and walk with them every day. He said, this is perfect. Now they're going to multiply and fill the earth, and this is going to be really good. And it wasn't. Um, Satan entered in, and the battle began. And it's been going on ever since. But God is um, eternal. Jesus is eternal. And, uh, you know, some, I think the world likes to think that Jesus came into being at Christmas, you know, when little baby was born in a manger, and that's the beginning of Jesus. <laughs> but it's not. But, you know, um, it says he sent. God, God so loved that he gave um, his only begotten son. Gave him. Um, says in, Gal- in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, uh, born under the law, that he might redeem all those that were under the law, that they might have the adoption as sons. And he says, because we're sons, he's, uh, he has sent the spirit, of, uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts, so we cry, Abba, Father. Um, so he's born, and yet he's given that seems strange, you know. He came down, Emmanuel, God with us, comes down out of heaven, 
And he comes down the lowest possible thing he could come as is, um, and be planted in the womb of a lowly Jewish girl. And uh, you know, in Isaiah it tells us that he was um, Isaiah nine six says, "Unto us a child is born, a human baby, born unto us." But then it says, "Unto us a son is given." So it's got Isaiah saw this from. What I don't know how many years ago, uh, before it happened, wrote it down that there was going to be a son born, I mean a child born, but he was going to be a son given, and that uh, that the the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was predicted all along to come finally, since the first what the third chapter of Genesis when sin enters the world, God says that there's going to there's going to come a, um, one day your seed, and, he, and he's going to get it. And Satan's going to bruise his serpent there, Satan undercover, you know, crawling around like a snake. Um, um, he's going to bruise your seed, the seed's head, excuse me, heel, heel. But the, but the son is going to bruise his head. And, and of course, uh, he did. Um, so, um, Timothy, it says, now made manifest. Jesus now made manifest by the appearing. Um, he's, he's appeared, he's sent, he gave. God sent him down. This is a, uh, just to us, an amazing thing that God should come down out of heaven and dwell among us. Imagine him getting off his throne and laying his glory down. God said, it's time to go down now. You know, Father says to the Son, it's time to go. And he lays down his crown and his, takes off his robe and lays it down and takes on the form of a servant and is made in the likeness of men and and uh, comes down humbled, humbled himself even unto the uh, to the death of the cross, all the way. And he came that he might seek and save that which was lost. He, he, might, he came that he might de- uh, destroy the works of the devil. Um, you know, he came because his father sent him. He came. You know, sometimes it's said, um, I, th- I think I've heard, heard this in, can imagine it, but I think I've heard on a sermon here and there on the TV or somewhere, and you know, someone says, "Well, I know God loves me because Jesus died for me." Is that okay? Or God loved me, so Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me because God loved me. Which came first? And. Uh, God so loved the world that he sent his son. You know, um, he gave. We were in the heart of, of the Father from before the foundation of the world. He had to have a way to be, um, to set us free, to worship him. And we couldn't do it because we were separated from him by, by our sin. And, and he, he said, we, there's got to be a way and the only way he could come up with, I'm going to send my son down there to die for them, go to the cross so that he might live. Um, that's an amazing thing that God should die so we can live. And he was raised again. Um, God, Jesus is distinct from the Father. There's three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all one in essence, but they're distinct personalities. They're separate from each other. Um, he's very God of very God. At the same time, he's the Son. He's God. The Father's God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, tells us in Hebrews, um, 
God who in sundry ways and diverse manners spoke unto our fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Jesus has declared him. And he says his son is the brightness of his shining. He's the express image of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He says when he himself had purged our sins, he went up and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So he was in the beginning. He exists from the foundation of the world. I'm sorry, before the foundation of the world. Um, uh, says in Timothy, he, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us unto a holy calling, not according to our works. It really didn't have much to do with us. He didn't look down and say, well, these guys, this one will be a pretty good person. I think I'll save that one. No, not according to our works, but according to his purposes and his grace. His grace. Which he hath given us in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world. And it says in John there, third, chapter, third verse, it says, All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. It tells us in Psalm 33, um, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were formed, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. It was all God speaking everything into existence. As you, uh, Hebrew says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. He's the image of the... <laughs> I think we learned when Pastor Pastor taught through the book of Colossians, and, and it says, um, chapter 1 right away, it says, he's the image of the invisible God, um, the firstborn of all creatures, firstborn of all creation, Um for all things, whether they be in heaven or on the earth, whether they be visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made by him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things consist. He's the glue that holds it all together. He sustains his whole creation not a not a single atom um, can get out of line, and God pops it right back. You know, he 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 knows everything that's going on, and he controls everything, and everything is working out according to his purpose. Though we see everything as in great turmoil and everything falling apart, and oh, how can all this happen? Um, and then. God says, I got it. You know, I got it. Don't worry about it. I got it under control. He wants us to pray. Why does he even ask us to pray? He asks us to pray because he wants to hear from us. He knows our concerns before we even ask. But he says, ask anyway. Just ask. He were, he, he, you know, if something's important enough for you to worry about, God cares. He cares about it. And it says, in, light, uh, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. I love that one. In him was life, and that life is the light of men. Just think of how we stumbled around in darkness till we knew who he was and who he is, until he called us, he quickened us to himself. You know, had no idea who he was. Never thought about him. Um, why don't they? Why don't men think about him? Why don't people care about him? Um, Ephesians chapter 2, um, Paul speaking to the, the believers there says, You hath he quickened. You hath he made alive who were dead in sin and trespasses, who formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom we all, every one of us, had our conversation in times past through the lusts of the flesh, uh, the desires of the flesh and the mind, fulfilling them. 
And we were as others, children of wrath. Every one of us. You know that we were children of wrath when we were born? Seems seems uh, seems like, uh, well, that can't be, you know, the little baby is a child of wrath. But every, every single person that comes into this world comes in um, a sinner, of course, needs to be redeemed. Needs um, They're not going to naturally um, filter toward God. You know, we're not going to naturally make movements toward God unless he, he, he quickens us. He moves us toward him. Um, and he's the source of all spiritual life and light. Men are desperate, but they don't even know it. People are desperate. Um, I spent like 29 years of my life in darkness. I didn't really think I was any darkness. I was pretty happy with myself. I was having a pretty good time, in fact. And uh, But I didn't ever give God a thought one way or the other. I wasn't, you know, they, they tell me I was an enemy of God, but I... I didn't feel like an enemy of God. I thought, well, God's pretty handy for me when I, when I get in trouble. You know, I can call on him and he, I pray, you know. And um, But that's about the only time I ever thought of God is if I was in trouble and needed something. I'd kind of shoot a quick prayer up there. And, he'd, and sometimes he'd help me. Sometimes I'd uh, stumble, you know. And but I didn't really ever give him a thought. I didn't ever think about him. I didn't ever, I don't remember anybody ever coming to me and saying, oh, you need to know the Lord. You need to, I don't, I don't remember hearing much about him at all. Um, and I guess if I would have, I wouldn't have cared too much anyway. But then all of a sudden, when I'm 29 years old, all of a sudden I start getting this hunger. You know, I don't know where it came from. Like, I guess I know where it came from, but I didn't know where it came from. And I just uh, started beginning to read the Bible. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, you know, started um, going, to, going to a church in town and just, uh, you know, they didn't, didn't, didn't do much at, on the sermons and stuff. They didn't really talk much about the Lord. They just kind of read something, you know, from Time magazine about what was going on and pray, and then we'd pray and they'd read a scripture, but I didn't, um, but there was a, a group of men, a group of men that met together on Saturday morning, so they said, why don't you come and join us? So I did, you know, and they, they had some, hung, some kind of a hunger in them that I'd never seen before. And so I kind of said, well, I, I want, I want that, whatever it is, you know, and I started beginning to, to search, and then of course, way leads to way, and, and, uh, God led me to Himself for His purposes and His will, and, and, uh, that was 40 some years ago. So, um, God, he gets a hold of those that he wants to get a hold of, and he does it in his way and his time. You say, why did, why did God wait 29 years, you know? So, you know, some of you may be longer, some of you may be when you're, when you're young, but God has his ways, he has his means, he has his time, and, and, uh, he'll put it, you know, um, he draws you. Jesus talked in John 6 about no man can come to me except the Father draw him. You know, there's got to be that pull. There's got to be something that stirs inside you. And I don't know if we can explain it. You know, it's it's God's work. So men are desperate and they really don't know it. I had no concept of a holy God or his claim on me. Neither did I care. Um, some of you can, um, young people, all of us, Grew up in some kind of home, maybe an unbelieving home. That's, that's pretty much what I grew up in, I guess, an unbelieving home, um, unbelieving family. Um, I guess they sent us to Sunday school, but they didn't go. So, um, Some might grow up in a dysfunctional family. Some might grow up in a religious family. Some might grow up in a Christian family. But it's all the same. It's all the same. Um, I think uh, for the young people here, 
it's a great advantage to grow up in a Christian family. To grow up in a Christian family, but it's a danger too. There's a danger in it. Um, you can grow up in a Christian family and think, well, I think, um, I think I'll get saved by osmosis here if I just hang out with the family. You know, it seems like we're all Christians and I'll just be a Christian. And we sort of just start fitting in. And uh, it never really becomes personal. Never becomes uh, something that drives us. It becomes something that we just think we are and we just go on the way we are. And uh, every single person is accountable for their own soul. Every single one of us. You know, from uh, we're accountable for our own soul and we have to deal with God uh, in repentance and faith for ourselves. You know, someday... Um, if it hasn't happened yet, someday Jesus has to become personal. He has to become your God, your Savior, your Lord. You know, and you have to know that. And I think, uh, I think that happens, um, probably more, uh, more apt to happen. I don't know. God knows. In a, some, someone who's grown up with it. I mean, you have the scriptures, you have people praying for you, you have a, a lot of advantages to grow up in a Christian, in a Christian home. And uh, we're, we're uh, told in the Bible to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that is really important. And especially in this day, because there's a world out there just waiting to gobble them up, you know, just waiting and Boy, when I think of what kids have to face today compared to what we had to face, it's amazing. You know, to, just the pull on all kinds of things in society that are just totally ungodly. And uh, it's scary. And yet, it's God knows, you know. And we have a safeguard. We have a refuge. God is my refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, will I not fear and... Uh, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. You know, it's just uh, God is our help in times of trouble. And even when it is in trouble, he's our help anyway. I need him every day. I need him every moment. I need him every time I turn around for something, you know. I forget my keys. I say, Lord, where did my keys go? And he usually shows me, you know. Or, uh, or my wife shows me, one of them. But, um, okay, so... Uh, Colossians, it says, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers together of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear Son. It's God's work. He takes us out of darkness and he moves us into the kingdom of his dear Son and the kingdom of light. Darkness and light are separate. God separated them. He put boundaries on things. And he said, this is light, this is darkness. And the battle is between light and darkness, Satan and God, um, truth and error. Um, it's always there. And uh, he wants to train us that we can tell the difference. You know, we need to be able to see the difference. Um, God is calling out of darkness a people for himself. Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a holy nation, um, a peculiar people, um, that you might show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his, uh, into his marvelous light. He's taken you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, so these are people chosen before the foundation of the world, and given as a love gift to Jesus. Do you ever think of yourself as a love gift that God gave to Jesus? You now he says that seven different times in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying to his father. He says, all those that you've given me, all those you gave me. He goes over and over saying, every one of them, he says, I've kept them. You know, out of all those you gave me, I'm not, I don't lose a one. Um... They're precious to Jesus because his father gave them to him. 
You know, if you're a believer, you're precious to Jesus because God gave him, gave you to him. Um, but the hindrance for men has always been darkness. There's always darkness. Um, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Um, maybe your Bible says did not apprehend it, or maybe did not grasp it, or did not appropriate it, or did not receive it. There's darkness, um, and light shines out there, but somehow it just goes by us. You know, like for me, for 29 years, light probably came around me. I didn't know it. It just goes right by me. And so we uh, t- today the light shines in the impenetrable darkness, and few are those that find it. There's few that find it. Jesus said, um, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few are they that find it. But broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many go in therein. So it's an easy thing to to walk in the world. It's an easy thing to stay away from God and and just uh, walk the way of you know, of your own self, just of your, you know, you put little self up on the throne and you say, you are my God and I'm going to do what you, what you want to do. And you follow him. But uh, I like to think of that as an inverted funnel or, you know, um, you got a broad end, you got the little end. If I'm going to put some gas in a, you know, in, in, a, in my blower or mower or something, I put the little end in the gas tank and then I pour my gas in the big end because I don't want to try to pour it in the little end and, and it would come out and go all over the place. So I'm pretty wise that way, so I tip the funnel with the big end up. And, of course, that's the easy route. If you want to go into, you know, if you want to have an easy walk, you go in um, the big end of the funnel. And it gets narrower and narrower and narrower and drops off into the pit of hell. But if you go in the narrow way, there's a little, just a little opening to get in there. Thomas says, how can we go? We don't even know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Thomas says, whoa, whoa. So he better go in the small end of the funnel, and you go in there and everything broadens out and life abundant. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And just totally the opposite. Just flip-flop that funnel and uh, struggle to enter land. It's worth it, you know, Go through the struggle. Struggle to enter in. <laughs> Light is that which makes manifest. It uncovers darkness. Um, I don't know. I think Steve the other day said something in one of your texts. You said something about going into a cave. I thought, yeah, that's. I've, I've been in caves where I go down inside of a cave, and then they'll say, "Okay, everybody, just hold still. Now we're going to shut the lights off." And how dark the darkness! It is so dark you can't even see your hand that far in front of your face. I mean, totally dark. And uh, it's a, it's a hard thing for us to adjust to. I mean, it's almost like, whoa, what am I going to do now? You know, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going. They have no direction. And uh, and men are in that darkness. Why are they in that darkness? Because they've rejected light. They reject the light. Men reject the light. Men are in darkness because of the ignorance in them. It tells us in Ephesians that uh, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and the blindness of their hearts. Hearts are blind, ignorant. What are they ignorant of? They're ignorant of three things particularly. They're ignorant of who God is. They're ignorant of who they are. 
and they're ignorant of this world. They're ignorant of God, his sovereignty, his love, his mercy, his glory, his wisdom, his word, his world, his judgment, his compassion, his peace, his salvation, his mercy. They're ignorant of all of that. And they're ignorant of themselves. They don't, they don't realize or think they're fallen, that they're sinful, that they're helpless, that they're hopeless. I didn't, you know, if I did something wrong, I really thought, well, you know, that's just what people do, you know. Well, that's not so bad, you know. But remember when David said, when he sinned, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. God, you have to think about, God has to look at us, you know, in the lost state. He has to see these lost ones. And some he has, his, his compassion just pours out to them, you know. I can imagine someone who belongs to him and yet doesn't, hasn't entered in yet. He must just, you know, his heart must just ache seeing them going through all their motions in the darkness, you know. You know, why won't you just come to me? Why won't you? Um, I think men make the mistake of comparing themselves. They, um, I think we could all, you know, we can all find someone who's just a little bit down the totem pole from us, you know. And I, if I'm going to compare myself, I'll, I'll look for someone that's just a little bit down and say, oh, look what so-and-so does. You know, I'm not that bad. And so they feel like, you know, one day if they have to stand, if there is a God, they have to stand before him, or they can just, you know, he'll, he'll probably, um, you know, he'll probably say, well, yeah, you did pretty good, you know, better than Joe there, you know, and so he'll let me in. Not true. Um, every sin is, uh, is an uh, abomination to God. Every sin, even the tiny little things we do, they're an abomination to God. Um, the things we think, the things we do, the things we say. So Paul says you're not wise in comparing yourself one to the other. Um, there's only one that God compares us with, just one. And that one's perfect. He says, and you fail, you know. You don't measure up. Um, you've come far short. For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he says that every mouth will be stopped and every man guilty before God. His standard is perfection and we don't have it. So what do we do? You know, what can we do? We, we don't have the perfection that God demands. When we get to the judgment seat, he's going to say, are you perfect? And we're going to say, not me, but but this is my Lord. He's perfect, and and God'll God'll look at look at the Savior and say, um, "Welcome, welcome into all I have for you," because He's your Lord. He died. He took He took all that debt that you had uh, piled up. He took it all on Himself and went to the cross that you might have life. This amazing. Now, they don't know, uh, unbelievers don't know that the law of God finds them guilty in every regard. You know, the, some will say, well, yeah, I, I, I keep most of the Ten Commandments. I keep most of them. Um, you know, have no other gods before you. You can't have an idol, you know. Something you're not willing to live without. Is there anything in your life you're not willing to live without if all of a sudden... God snatches it away. He says, oh, life's not worth living anymore. He just took what I counted on, you know. You're idol. That's an idol. Um, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder don't even call someone a fool. Don't even uh, look with anger on your brother without a good cause. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't even think in your mind about a woman or lust after her or you're guilty of adultery. Covetousness. 
That's something that goes right along with the American dream, covetousness. Um, well, then there came along one man. He says, uh, Jesus, he, Jesus said, well, what's the law say? He said, well, how can I be saved? And I, he said, Jesus said, well, what's the law say? And he said, well, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbors yourself. You see, the first four of these Ten Commandments are all about God, loving God. And then the last six are all about loving your neighbor. You know, stealing, lying, covetousness, adultery. Those are all affecting your neighbor. And the rich young ruler says, well, I'll sum it up for you, Lord. Uh, um, at the, you know, first four is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And um, the last six are love my neighbors myself. He says, I've done all those since youth, since my youth, he said. I've done them all. Jesus didn't get on his case and say, I don't know you haven't. Jesus said, ooh, that's pretty good. You know, you're not far from the kingdom. Now go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Whoa, it says he went away sad because he had many possessions. Guess what those were? Idols. His possessions were his idols, his covetousness. Um, and number number two, idols. Number three, or no, excuse me, number eight. Um, number nine, excuse me, number ten was covetous. That's the last one. And number eight was lying. I've kept them all. You know, that's, the guy really wasn't where he should be. And yet he thought he was. He was pretty sure that he he was uh, ready for judgment, but he wasn't. Um, it's funny how God, uh, Jesus always tends to pinpoint the, the thing right away. He, pin, he pinpointed the covetousness in that rich young ruler um, right away. And I think the pastor's been teaching on the woman at the well in Samaria. Right away he uh you know, he, he could see the adultery in her life before she even thought about it, you know. Um, so he does, he does that. He can pick out uh, things he needs to deal with us on. We're all born into this world, and immediately we enter into warfare. Um there's a war going on, and uh, the second we come into the world, we're either in the light or in the dark, and it just goes on in truth or error, um, God or Satan. Um, we're following one or the other. There's no gray zone. You're not going to be in the middle. Some people fancy themselves, well, I like to go to church on Sunday and stuff, but I kind of like to party on Friday night or Saturday night. Um, that's just, That's kind of a gray zone. You're saying, well, I'm kind of with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom here, and I'm, I like it that way. And, of course, God says, well, then you're not in. If you're not with me, then you're, not, then you're against me, you know. So that's something to think about. By the, um, we're enemies of God, rebels bent on serving and living for ourselves rather than living for God. It's kind of the way we come into the world. Ask a little baby if uh, they want their way, you know, or if, uh, you know, if they have a need, um, they'll make it known right away. I want this, I want that. Two little kids sitting in a daycare somewhere. One has a toy, the other one wants it. I want it. No, I want it. And then it starts the war. You know, it's a, it, it goes on inside of us all until we, in various ways, all the way through our lives until we finally come to the place where we find a peace. What he, say, he says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, your warfare is accomplished. You know, your warfare is accomplished. Your iniquity is forgiven. Your sin is pardoned. Um, that's... Uh, Isaiah and his prophecy that the Messiah is going to come and do that for you. The warfare is accomplished. Um, 
Man tends to rest on his great feats, you know, science, space, technology, analytics, finance, philosophies, education. Man has a lot of great feats. They've done, I mean, there's just some really fabulous things that are being done by by scientists and educators, all these various things, technology particularly, medicine. Um, but then they get the idea, well, I can do anything. We can do anything. Through education, we can do anything. Through science, we can do anything. Um, through technology, we can do anything. But they choose to ignore the fact that they can do absolutely nothing to bring envy, jealousy, anxiety, murder, abductions, extortions, pornography, homosexuality, adultery, abortions, terrorism, drug abuse, school shootings, government corruption, corruption in the church, and all manner of wickedness under control. Just think about that. You know, the politician said, we'll get it straight for you. We'll do it. These are things they won't touch. They won't touch them. They can't. They don't know anything about them. They don't even know they're bad. You know, they'll promote these, uh, many of these things. Why? Well, Romans 1 tells us, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And finally, there's an ignorance of the world. Man thinks he rules this world. He doesn't recognize that it's God's world. God created it, and God um, sustains it. God is sovereign over it. He holds it all together and stands in judgment over it. And when he's ready, he will shut down time and fold the world up like a vesture. It's over. And on that day, um, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's uh, word will not pass away. In Isaiah 40, uh, verse 6, says, The voice said to me, Cry. And I said, well, what should I cry? He said, well, cry all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. The best played pans, excuse me, the best laid plans of mice and men go astray. No matter the thought, the planning, the care given to man's best ideas, in the end, the Spirit of the Lord will blow upon it. And its end will be according to his dictates, what God thinks. You know, he can do anything, anything that comes up, everything they plan, God decides whether he's going to allow it or not allow it. And and uh, we've seen that, I think, it will happen over and over. God says something's not going to happen, even though science says it will. And God says sometimes things will happen, even when science says it won't. Um, men are in darkness because of their blindness. I think in Second Corinthians chapter 4, it says, um, um, If our gospel is hid, it's hid unto those who are perishing. For the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine on them. Um, they don't recognize it, and they're not interested in it. The light, they're blinded. Um, he made the world, was in the world, but the world didn't even know him. He came onto his own. His own did not receive him. Um, Jesus said, you have the scriptures. You know, the, the, the Jews were the ones that he came to. The Jews were the ones that um, were his own people. They didn't know him. They, they claimed the whole, you know, they spent their whole history saying, we're looking for the Messiah. One day the Messiah is going to come. We just can't wait. The Messiah is going to come and set us free. And he came and they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know who he was. Um, 
Um, Jesus said, you have the scriptures because in the scriptures you think you have eternal life. But they are those that testify of me. And you won't come to me that you might have life. You won't come that you might have life. So men love the darkness. Um, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we stop there. Don't stop there and say, but God sent not, uh, going on from there, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He sure didn't have to come to condemn the world. It's already condemned. Um, he came uh, that the world might be saved. And he said, then this, uh, he says, he who believes is not condemned. He who believes not is condemned already. Um, this is the condemnation that light came into the world. But men love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. Um, he who is in darkness will not come to the light. Who did, uh, do you remember when uh, Christ, uh, right, just on the night of the crucifixion, Pilate led, out, led Jesus out to the mob and said, you know, who do you want me to release? You know, it's kind of a tradition here. We're going to release one person. Would you like me to release the Christ, your king? Or would you rather I release Barabbas, a murderer? What did they say? Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. So they chose darkness over light, which is something that um, is very common to human beings, common to all of us. Um, quote from Murray McShane uh, said, There lies in the heart, in our hearts, the seed of every known sin. There lies in the heart of every man the seed of every known sin. Jesus said, That which cometh out of a man isn't what defiles him, for within and out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within the man that defiles him. That's what defiles us. You know, not what we do, but it's what we are, what we are. Same God who caused the light to shine in the darkness in, in Genesis chapter 1 said, let there be light. That same God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world as long as I'm in the world. He says, now you're the light of the world. Um... Whatever spiritual light any child of Adam has had out of the countless millions of mankind, he owes he or she owes it all to Christ and his sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. He came um, Excuse me, I mixed uh, my order here a little bit. Okay. I'm, I'm going to end here shortly. I just want to, a uh, couple other things here. John the, Gospel, John the baptizer comes. He's, John came. Um, it says, uh, um, a man... Um, God sent this man from God, John, and he came to bear witness of the truth um, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. That is the true light that lights every man that cometh into the world. So he came to declare Jesus, just like Jesus came to declare God. John came to declare Jesus. Um, Jesus, uh, John, John was a shining, uh, a light shining in the darkness. Jesus himself called him a burning and shining light. His cry was always, make straight the way of the Lord. Every mountain shall be brought low. Every valley shall be raised up. I just think of how true that was. Every high thing was brought down when Jesus came. Every low thing was lifted up. Um, 
He came uh, to the shepherds rather than to the high courts. He came to Bethlehem rather than Jerusalem. He came to a stable rather than a palace. Um, He came as a babe rather than a king. He came to a young Jewish girl rather than to a woman of high standing. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. That he would point all those who would listen to Christ. Um, that was his, that was what his, his disciples got all concerned one time when uh, they saw that, he, they said, Jesus is starting to baptize more people than you're getting, John. You're going to lose your crowd here. And John says, ah, forget it. You know, he must increase, I must decrease. Even though Jesus wasn't baptizing, it was his disciples that were baptizing, but, but uh, John saw that Jesus had to increase, John had to decrease. Any man who's ever come to an honest and scriptural saving knowledge of God received the true light from Jesus Christ by the word of God through the power of the Spirit. Sometimes maybe in childhood, sometimes in your midlife, sometimes on the deathbed, um, like the thief on the cross. How long did he live after he came to the Lord Jesus? Only minutes, or I don't know how long he lived on the cross. Or. So um, it could be any time. But it's always initiated by God. It'll be God's move. And it'll be, um, you must be born again. And only through Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, oh, I know God and stuff. I pray a lot. I go to church on Sundays. Um, and they'll tell you all this stuff about them. And they'll never mention the Lord Jesus. Um, without the Lord Jesus, there's no life, no light. Um, and no man can come to God without him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That might be the most um, glorious words in Scripture. The, the, the word became flesh. He came down. God took part of us. And uh, he's, still, still in, uh, he's still in flesh today. You know, God is spirit. And yet, you know, we picture... Standing at the right hand of God, um, is he half God and half man up there or what? No, he's 100% God up there and yet he's 100% man, however that works. A little beyond our feeble brains, but um, the word says he's 100% God and 100% man. You know, He's there for us. He's there representing us ever living to make intercession for us. You say, well, why would God save me? Why would God call my name way back? He's looking over all the time. He says, I I want that one. Why would God choose you? There's a story, and I don't think it was because anything in you. But if he chose you, um, there's a story in uh, 2 Samuel about a man named Mephibosheth. And he's lame in two feet, both feet. He's lame. And uh, David says, isn't there somebody left around here that I can show kindness to in the family of Jonathan? That was Jonathan's beloved friend. I mean, excuse me, David's beloved friend, Jonathan, his family. And he, he says, is there anyone left? And Ziba, the servant, said, well, there is one, he said, but you know, he's just, he's he's lame in both feet and... David said, bring him to me. And he comes and Mephibosheth says, why would my, um, how do you say it? Why should God look on me? Why should God look on such a dead dog as me? Why, why should the king look on such a dead dog as I am? That's, that was Mephibosheth's words. And, uh, I think what it was is when 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 he sat down at the table with David, David didn't see Mephibosheth and his lame feet there. David saw the countenance of his beloved Jonathan there. He saw this this one is my this is my love to Jonathan, and he um, took him in and just like his own said, eat continually at the table. And God must do the same thing with us. He brings us in. 
And we say, why would you choose someone like me? Why would you choose such a dead dog as I am? And God looks at you and he says, he doesn't see us. He sees his son. He sees Jesus Christ. He looks on his countenance and he says, you come in here. You, You sit at my table continually. He said, I want you there. And it's, it's amazing. Um, one day a man named Saul of Tarsus, great enemy of the church, was raging along in darkness on a road to Damascus, and suddenly a shaft of light pierced the darkness and knocked him off his horse. At that moment, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit regenerated his heart. And Saul, in an instant, um, was changed and became Paul, the great apostle of the church. And Jesus says, while I, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But now you are the light of the world. Be harmless and blameless, the sons of God, without reproof, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you just give us your word, Lord. You have so much for us to learn, so much for us to see, so much, uh, Lord, that we don't deserve. And yet you continually pour out. You continually allow us to sit at your table and and to dine on your morsels, Lord. We're thankful, God. Thankful for the cross. Thankful for what Jesus Christ did for us, Lord. Thankful for you having loved us uh, before the foundation of the world, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you now to just, uh, just send our hearts away in peace, Lord. Cause us, Lord, to look to you, to walk with you, and to glorify you in all that we say and do and think today and the days ahead. And for Jesus' sake, amen.